Hey you. I didn't get to do one in the actual episode, so we're gonna get hey you in the beginning. Um, welcome to episode numero cuatro, number four. Um, just firstly to address uh, why there was no episode last week. Um, why is this in my face? Nice. Uh, there was no episode last week because I'm changing it to bi-weekly for first of all people have complained about the length of episodes um i'm trying to now do it bi-weekly so that people can spread out the time that they're watching it so they can enjoy the whole thing in a large amount of time uh second of all just to have an ease of uploads uh, a lot of my uploads have been gone or to or removed or not recorded well so psh, i need that kind of time uh, and i hope you guys can understand and hope everybody enjoys and watches episodes um so this week's episode is my friend Sharif Al Abbas. He is a political science and economic bi major, bi, bi dual major uh, um, at Seen Hall University. Um, so, and Perziad's back again. Yeah, I know you guys didn't want him. It's okay. He's back. They hated him enough. He's right to the side. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we're today we're going to discuss everything current events. So, from Corona to the elections in general and Trump and we go into a really good and I highly recommend everybody watch this episode. We go into like very not co- more controversial, but as well as like very deep topics into to media and news, etc., etc. Um, I hope you guys all enjoy this episode. I hope you guys continue to support. I appreciate everybody, and let's get into the episode. Finally starting this after 10 It's been 10,000 years It's been like what like 20 minutes now 20 oh, minutes th- is putting it lightly I think 20 minutes was how 20 much minutes was like an hour ago <laughs> <laughs> I think I've genuinely reached Two hours of setting this up We have to go through like Mic difficulties My brain difficulties, difficulties Everything difficulty My phone dying Emotional distress <laughs> Headaches there, there may have been some objects thrown Lack of Advil Lack of Advil Yeah Especially after he bumped his head He really needed that Advil I actually really need it right now I bumped my head while praying So it's nice <laughs> At least there's no closet to run <laughs> Nice Nice for this Yeah nice We'll talk about that later <laughs> God Let's start Alright um So today Special episode So you guys are on a special episode But yeah, really, Sharif Special special episode So we're gonna use your expertise now To talk about Everything current events from Corona, Corona, uh, to... Which does not have anything to do with the beer brand. Uh, don't let the 33% of Americans who actually think that fool Do you. they actually? Do yes, it's, a, it's close to a third. And that's the stock of Corona, the beer, went down because of that. So that would have been a good time to buy in if it wasn't haram. <laughs> I love that. 30, 30, out of, one out of three of your friends. 30-something 30, 30 percent, yeah. Of your friends, one out of three thinks that you that corona has to do with beer nice i like this or at least the virus yeah we're gonna go from corona to i don't even know what so let's get started corona so now brothers you know this we're out till when we're out till april 13th and i'm out till uh, april 13th as well and yeah. so question goes first of all right do you think college like do you think how long do you think it's gonna last it, it, it could be several months. I mean, 
the thing is the testing some south korea has it more or less contained at this point and in china it's winding <coughs> down uh, the president of china actually visited Wuhan, which he wouldn't do if he didn't think it was winding down i heard that was fake uh but you know regardless it is wind the situation is winding down in china and it is winding down south korea the issue in america though is that the federal response has been so ridiculously <coughs> slow i mean everything from the pandemic team not being available because trump fired them in 2018 to cuts in the cdc budget to him refusing the tests from the World Health Organization, to downplaying it, saying it was like the flu. Uh, the response has not been uh, yeah. yeah, so great. one of the things you can look at is, um, you do pick, uh, pick the countries, China, um, South Korea, but there's one key difference. The key difference is that those countries implemented measures right away. Mm-hmm. All right, if you look at when uh, China locked on the whole Hubei, prov- Hubei province with Wuhan Zin, um, you're going to see that their infection rate, rate was three times less than what the U.S. is right now. So we've even passed that point. Wow. And you're, you're, you're asking yourself, like, for example, what's the death rate for this thing, right? So South Korea tested 140,000 people more than anyone else, and they said something like 0.6%. Okay. Even though it says six, though. 0.6%, right? So like a fraction of a percent, not even one. Um, then you have places like Italy that has 5%. Iran has, like, Four or five percent. Eight percent of Iran's parliament is infected. Yeah, um, and then you're looking at other places like why is it so? The World Health Organization said it's three point four percent. So what's the discrepancy? Um, the discrepancy comes in f- for how soon they took action. The countries like Italy that you know they took action late, you're going to see like a higher death percentage because they let it go on to they let it spread too much. China locked it down very very quickly, and then that's why you're seeing that they're recovering. Like they're they're pretty much. On their way to recovery, right? I, I think there's less than ten reported cases per day, or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. South Korea is testing fifteen thousand people a day. I mean, it's it's astonishing. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. Amazing. But then uh, Sharif was going on blaming. Like, I, uh, yeah, Trump has a lot to blame. And, well, I mean, yeah. just but like, how much yeah. is it just Trump, and how much is it like? I mean, the government I, in total. I, I said the federal government's like response to it. I use the word uh, federal government response has been pretty poor, just in general. Obviously, Trump bears blame for trying to downplay and then proceeding to declare an emergency maybe even a few days later so certainly he's bears a lot of the blame for it but just in general you know the the very slow response slow rates of testing you know saying that coronavirus uh treatment's going to be free and then saying oh no no it wasn't a coronavirus treatment just testing you know the things like that you know really really slowing the response down making it so that people are afraid to get tested so they can't afford it or just in general the fact that south korea is testing 15,000 people a day despite having a fraction of our population and we're not even testing anywhere close to that i mean let, let's say that we experience the same number of cases regardless but if we can spread them out over a long enough timeline then hospitals will be better able to deal with yeah. them it, it, italy's being overwhelmed right now because they're dealing with so many different cases at once I'm sure that there's a certain level of a uh, certain number of cases that are going to happen no matter what. But if you spread them out longer, then it'll be will be better able to weather through the crisis. So, yeah. Yeah, but then, so do you think the federal government? Because oh, look, I don't think the response in total was. Don't did you, you muted yourself? You sure? All right. Um. Do you, so like no, even here, right? Nobody thought Corona was a big deal until I got here. Is that true? Oh, well, the people knew it was a big deal, but it wasn't like as big a deal. Yeah, I would have shot so, out of mind. Yeah, yeah, you would, you would have thought, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal, but it's a, a problem with China. And then when it got here, it was, 
it's slow, like I think it's slowly built up in severity, like in severity in terms of like how it was perceived at least. So then, do you think in the early stages there was there was a reason to say that everybody's overreacting? Do you see my point? Like, okay, given yeah. how quickly it spread, given how quickly it spread, and the, the drastic measure China took, I think you could have predicted that um, this is probably going to be a lot worse than you're thinking, right? You're not over overly dramatic. Um, I think one of the responses that they could have done, looking back on it, you could also say that this everything is in the retrospective, but um, have pe- have people mass vaccinations for the flu. I know. The reason why, because now when you have new cases, you can immediately kind of rule out the flu if you had mass vaccinations, for example. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Um, I think that would have been a good response. Right now, I think that, that, you know, by not accepting the World Health Organization's testing kits, what's happening now? They, they pick their own testing kit and then they realize, hey, it actually doesn't work. <laughs> it's, it's little incompetences like that that's just prolonging it. And I, as Sharif was mentioning, like the, that, that spreading out over a long period of time. I think that's the main idea right now. I think uh, you know some some social scientists are saying like uh, scientists are saying um, the best way to do that is social distancing, distancing, right? You know these lockdown measures. But it's in, okay, but that's just prevention. <clears throat> no, that's that's mitigation. It has we we can't prevent it. It's it's in. Uh, you just have to mitigate the effects now. How do you do that? Trying to prevent it from spreading. Yeah. Right. Reducing public demonstrations, just general. Th- this is one of the few pandemics that you can correct for with the individual uh, changes in actions and whatnot. And that's something that we should really take advantage of. Be it simple things like washing your hands for 20 minutes and not touching your face uh, versus legally mandated things like not wanting people to in- engage in public demonstrations, you know, canceling sporting events or canceling the crowds for set sporting events if you have to. Hashtag Rip Juma. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, if anyone can get us VIP tickets to the private Juma, please let us. Please, <laughs> there's context, and if, if Brother Zia tells a person to watch this, he's gonna see the context. There's private Jumas being held right now, guys. Private Juma, which specific people only allowed? Well, we know you're watching this. We demand tickets right now. <laughs> we want to know, please. Alhamdulillah. I, I actually pray Juma, so you guys didn't pray. Well, no, I, I no, pray, there were a few people in my uh, yeah, you pray, university. No, you guys did pray Jamaat. Sorry. So, but like, the masjid was empty, my guy. Like, like, it was so weird. I saw this video too, like, you know, um, when there's a time of plague or something, or like even distress, or they say it's really, really hard. Like, the, the Mu'adhan can say, um, pray in your houses. Yeah, I saw it, yeah. Mm. yeah it's saw the video. Yeah. It's like, bro, Sharif, the shit, by the time I get, so I got to the masjid, so last time I saw 115, right? Usually. And I got to the masjid. At what at twelve forty five? By one fifteen, by one, there was three lines. By one, fifteen minutes before salah. Versus the usual where you have people like, standing outside trying to squeeze yeah, in. And I was yeah. like, huh? And it it, it, it shows like I, every time I talk to you, and then every time I talk to him, right? It's like this conflict. Like I, every time I talk to him, I feel like worse. Right? I was like, this is when I go into this whole thing where I came to school. I was like, I want school to shut down now. I was like, I want it down now. I want about the corona. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, but when I talk to you, it's like okay, no, Ahmed, calm down. Like, like it's like it's like it's not as bad. What are the angel and devil on your shoulders? Yes, I, I need an angel. Sharif, thank you. I mean, I think it still could go either way, though. If you're just going back to the Corona stuff, um, we're mentioning like Italy has like five percent, right? And Sharif was mentioning that uh, just trying to flatten out to spread it out so the hospitals aren't overwhelmed. So the hospitals aren't overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, right? Um, 
I think like the U.S. If you have a hundred thousand cases, I was reading something. If you have a hundred thousand cases, they're going to have masks for the next two weeks for all health employees. They're literally going to run out in two weeks. Yeah. If you Bigger. have one hundred thousand cases, and by the rate it's going, if, if we're looking bad. at we're one third where China shut down, we're three times past where China shut down. We're gonna have more than a hundred thousand cases. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> You're gonna just overwhelm. We don't even have enough masks. Forget like you know the ventilators and the, you know the respirator. Everything that goes with that. The reason why Italy's having a. Uh, and I was reading this amazing article that it, Italian doctors just yesterday they published um, guidance for other doctors, and they were talking. You know, you know the trolley, trolley dilemma. Yeah, the trolley. Right. Yeah. Five people are on a track. You know, the the train goes two directions. Five people here, one love per, one love um, a loved one in this way. Which way do you go? Which which do you, do you direct the train, right? And that's like always a, a philosophical co- uh, conversation you always have when you're like in um, a beginning ph- philosophy course or something or sociology course. course. Yes. Right. These doctors came out and said that we don't have enough equipment to deal with everything, so prioritize the ones who you can save. Basically, and yeah, they I, gave I read guidance. that yesterday. I was about to ask they gave about guidance that. about like older people, people with uh, underlying medical conditions like diabetes, yes. high blood pressure. Don't prioritize them. Um, it's a horrifying situation. <laughs> leaving mandating them off the and that's what's happening in uh, Italy. Yeah. In a fr- uh, first world country, a European yeah. country, Italy. You're not expecting that, and that's because they they decided to do these social distancing lockdown measures too late. I think the U.S. is like, I think they're right there too with that 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 number yeah. where. They haven't reacted yet, so I believe one of the machines that was uh, was vitally needed. The U.S. had two hundred and fifty of them. He's my devil now. All right, two hundred and fifty of them, um, just a few years ago. And if you're looking at about five percent of the population would need those, if a hundred thousand people get affected, we're <laughs> not gonna, even we're, close. You're not going to share ventilators, like you know, yeah, breathe for like two minutes. Let me go share with the other guy for the next. You can suffocate yeah. for ninety seconds. Here, <laughs> that's other. <laughs> on the bright side, we're good. So I think that's uh, that's going to drive up the death uh, rate. We we would get masks and brothers would so we're good. You're older. I feel bad. Yeah, I'm a lot, lot, lot older than you. <laughs> so like, but it's shitty for chilling, man. But is it what? What's the death rate for our age? Point two. It's it's very small for our age. Uh, that's not to say we should get complacent. But. No, but I, I saw I saw that I mentioned this. It's pretty funny. It's like all these kids were like, "Oh, we're good, bro. We're good. We, we, we we're teenagers. We've been vaping all week. <laughs> You've been vaping yeah. all week." Uh, chi- China, like sixty something percent of the older men in China smoke, and the death rate among these older men who were smoking was ten percent. Wow. So, so it it was something just absolutely ridiculous numbers. So weak lungs, you know, any sort of autoimmune disease could increase your vulnerability to the point that an old person has yeah but you know smoking too you know weaken your lungs my roommate has cystic fibrosis you know oh that's really yeah that's yeah. gonna be that's yeah. very, very it's very serious that's a good yeah, well, it's, it's, mucus, yeah. yeah yeah but it's 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 like I, it's it's hard to gauge in the beginning stages but like i think it's it's also i'm mind blinking i love when i mind blank on podcasts nice guys uh <coughs> Sharif, don't, don't I'm call. sorry, I might give you guys Corona. Sharif, man. <laughs> Sharif, you don't do that here. Yeah, yeah I think these mics are from China. Like, <laughs> we're about to practice some social distancing right yeah. now. So, Sharif, let me count. One, two. How many is this? Six feet? Bro, at the machine, I want to sit six feet away from everybody. I want it so bad. Yeah, right now they're enforcing that. In Italy, they're enforcing the three to six feet rule. You can't walk in public with anyone. Three and to isn't, six feet. isn't it now, it's, it's, um, 
it's it's shit if you told me this it's on surfaces for three days or what uh like so in an eye well repeat that the, it's uh, the corona can stay on surface for three days and yes. in the air for oh. three hours something like that. yes yeah. so it's like and you said some people were getting sick without with without any clear person-to-person transfer so yeah, that it would indicate that, that they were on a, a some sort of chair that someone else had sat on and that's how they got it that's 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 very that, scary. That's like oh my god, my my dad is hoarding my guy. I don't I don't know. But I say semi hoarding. I'm semi. I'm just hoarding water. <laughs> water. <laughs> I need my mat. I, I don't I don't trust the the water over here. You know, my, my dad just gets hookups. But bro, there's nothing. There's nothing in Costco. Like the, I went. To, my dad went yesterday. No water at Costco. Not not a bottle. Walmart not, was the same thing. Yeah. It's crazy, but then it's like a lot of people will be like, "Well, how much of that of that is too much?" Is overreacting as well. A lot of it is re- overreacting. A lot of it is overreacting. I mean, you have it's like the Y two K situation where everyone just went thought the world was going to end or something, and then they they just bought out the whole store. But um, I think this one, even though it's overreacting, I think just uh. The, the whole fighting and stuff that you know someone's fighting over toilet paper the other day <laughs> <laughs> you, you know it reminded me of you, you um you have all these americans and you know just general people anti-immigrants they're talking about immigrants you know look at these immigrants and um look how they behave and stuff and these people are escaping you know violence in their country whatever yes. it is right and it's like you guys just heard there's a virus and all of a sudden you're fighting over toilet paper <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's it's night and day. You can really put things in perspective. Chickens can't come home to roost, as Malcolm X says. You know, when confronted with a similar situation that these immigrants face every single day, you know, they go wild just as much as they perceive the immigrants to go wild. And the the situation they're facing are nearly as bad. Not to undermine how bad the coronavirus situation is, but when you're running away from a dictator who uses chemical weapons on his own people, you know, I think that's safe to say that's a tier above what we might be facing now. It was a famous political scientist. I think he said, um, "You're only four meals away from anarchy." Explain. When people go hungry, yeah, riots happen. That's yeah. when that, yeah. Yeah, and Sudan, the Bashar uh, Bashir wasn't. Uh, he was. He was a dictator for decades, but it wasn't until bread prices skyrocketed and, and gas prices skyrocketed that people really began to protest, and they he was overthrown within the year. You know, if people, you can throw everything. My, at thing, my guys in Sudan. The same thing. The same thing. The whole Middle East uprising. It was. Uh, you could trace it. You could. There was a teacher in high school, and he was talking about. Um, you can trace every revolution through the price of bread. Of course. Once yeah. bread price goes up, yeah. you see revolutions happening. Food prices bread go is up. The, the food of the poor, right? Yeah. Yes. Food prices go up. You'll see. You'll. You'll start seeing revolutions. That's just. Uh, and this. This puts things in perspective, right? How how fragile society is, right? That artifice of society. Yeah. Um, take anything away from people but if you take their food the revolt doesn't matter yeah but like here it's like well in this situation we have food we have everything but like I, now I wish people would revolt because like look New Jersey is on top of things to an extent like and then New Jersey, I think the response in New Jersey yeah, yeah, New one Jersey, of the better responses yeah, for better. sure but then New Jersey, Trump decides today to have a state of emergency and, and how much is now is it like FEMA so I don't. I'm not too familiar with FEMA. How much can FEMA do now that it has that much money? I mean, FEMA is an entire agency that their their goal is to respond to these um, yeah. emergency situations. So they'll have resources. They'll have people power. Where do you think most of the money is gonna go? In terms of 
you'll have to look at um, basic hospital stuff, right? You, just people getting into the hospital, getting people tested. I think that's the that's one of the big things, right? Because if you don't test people, if you don't know who's contacting whom, and you don't lock those people down, I think that's that's the bigger that's the bigger. But isn't that so, so for me? So like from devil's advocate perspective, that's like never a never-ending struggle. You're gonna keep spending putting money into constantly trying to find people when you could. Put money to fix it. Like I, I can see both. Well, if you, if you can if you can find them quickly enough and like lock them down, I think it'll be thing. Um, it'll be effective. China had um, five person teams. They had eighteen hundred five person teams. Eighteen hundred five person teams. And anybody who got infected, they looked at who those people met within the last seven days or so, and then who those people met. They were very very thorough about it. I mean, it's only a country like like a very authoritarian country can get away with that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's, say know, let's get five people, eighteen hundred, um, five people, t- uh, five people teams to just like look into everything about your life. Yeah. But um, yeah. it, it basically controlled the situation. It controlled yeah. it to the point that they're not even having any more new cases. That's crazy. I don't think we'll be able to do that. No, no, uh, <laughs> no. But you know, if we can do something like it, you know, try to get it contained. I think right now, getting it contained and then getting it mitigated. Right, you just have to. Um, Try to prevent m- more spreading. You don't think there'll be some type of cure? Right? There won't be some type of medicine for it, or, you, or not in time. Spend I mean, vaccines usually take more than a year. Yeah, so. I think by by the, I think it's better to try and keep people uh, social distancing and whatnot, slow the spread of the virus. Because but by the time the vaccine or whatever cure that we find is developed, you know, if we sit around on our hands waiting for that to happen, you know, the virus will have already spread to a point where we're overwhelmed. So we need to kind of ride the tide out first and mitigate the damage as much as possible while we develop a cure so that we don't have to constantly deal with this. You know? It's crazy how the richest country in the world is having this issue. I never thought it was going to get here, by the way. All the richest countries in the world. Yeah. It's so crazy. And Senor Trump is going to cost us. I think today's, by the state of emergency, is 100% the safest presidency. I think it's at risk. This this could very well end up being Trump's Hurricane Katrina, yeah. with how he how poorly he's responded to this. Because you know I'm sure everyone who's watching this has been aware of the Dow tipping off the edge of the world, how much the stock market's been flowing, and you know I'm not going to call the economy that we've been having over the past few months good because I don't agree with the definition of good economy that most people use. But the economy major, is is good in the sense that the stock market has been consistent and the GDP has been consistently growing. When Trump loses that, he has very little that he can brag about in November. And when you pair that to how poorly he's responded so far to this whole ordeal, his seat could very well end up being lost in November, regardless of how weak the candidate for the Democrats ends up being. Yeah. And, uh, uh, dude, um, going on a stock thing, wasn't oil last week $30? Yeah, it's it declining. It was at yeah. thirty dollars, which is the price of the barrel itself. Yeah, Saudi Arabia cut their price uh, to right try and compete with Russia. They're in a price war right now. Yeah, which is also going to be another issue. And that that happened the same day uh, as the, the coronavirus really yeah. sp- spiked. And the stock, yeah. stock market crashing when they had to turn it off. Yeah, for two minutes. Yeah, so all, all, all happened. I I think they even had a halt date, a halt to trading for like yeah, fifty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like Should have done. And um, so we mentioned Trump and. Uh, Sharif has a lot to rant about. But yet as well. Well, right. I'm not as angry as I was a couple weeks ago. So, but it's, it's been released. I want you angry. Let's get you angry, okay? Let's get Sharif angry. So, Sharif. Uh, so, Sharif. Sanders is losing, my guy. I don't think I've had my hope raised so high for a few months and then snatched so quickly. Because 
I didn't expect Sanders to even get to the first place position in the first place. But Which with the first three, right? Yeah, like I, I thought he was just going to get stuck at second or third place for the entire election, and he would keep his, you know, devoted voter base, but he'd never expand past that. Once around January, when he passed Biden and got to the first place mark, so I was so happy. I was through the, over the moon because Sanders to me is very much a once in a generation figure. He's been able to expand the American overturn window so much to a point where now you have people, prominent politicians like Elizabeth Warren, who are talking about cutting military spending, who are talking like talking about single payer health care as if it's a normal issue. Uh, and not single payer health care, it's not just Elizabeth Warren, someone progressive like her. You also have people like Kamala Harris, uh, Pete Buttigieg, who are trying to co-opt the issue, obviously, with you know, their with, own... with their own version, you know, Medicare for all who want it is Buttigieg's version of the plan. <laughs> uh, very bourgeois kind of phrasing there. <laughs> but uh, setting that aside, the fact that he's even able, been able to inject these issues into the mainstream, inject these, uh, try to really shift the Democratic Party to a point where they're not just, they're not serving corporate interest as much as they were in the past you know it's really amazing to me and the fact that he could generate such a major following you know despite all the barriers that have been placed in front of him just it made me extremely extremely excited to see him get to that first place and you know with his performances in iowa new hampshire and then nevada completely demolishing in nevada getting like 45 percent i was like yeah yeah he, he's got this and then about two two days before oh, Super Tuesday. Oh, oh, two days. Oh, oh, how naive! Two days. How naive! Establishment strikes. It's like it's like Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> the Empire Fem. strikes back. This <laughs> is how freedom dies with roaring applause. I was talking to a friend. I can't mention him. He knows who he is. When 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 they all drop out at the same time, there's not a setup. Of course, yes. There's not a setup. I mean, I think at that point, Klobuchar and Buttigieg realized, you know, okay, so we have zero appeal with the people of color. We're not going to win the nomination. So let's make sure that Sanders loses. So <clears> Sunday. Klobuchar drops, or no, Sunday, Buttigieg drops, uh, drops out. Um, he endorses know. Biden. Monday, Klobuchar drops out. She endorses Biden. And there's this huge convention where now you have Beto O'Rourke endorsing Biden. And all these other politicians. Uh, establishment. <laughs> and then Tuesday, Biden not only wins, but he wins states that no one even thought he was going to win, like Maryland and Massachusetts. Michigan. Mi Michi uh, Michigan, well, Michigan, he wins two weeks. Two, it was this week. Oh. Yeah. But, you know, he, winning 10 states to Sanders is four, you know. And that, that was even with, like, Bloomberg splitting the vote between him and... Uh, and, and, you know, you also had Warren splitting the vote between Sanders. But you had Bloomberg splitting the vote between Biden. So it's still... The fact that he had that and he was still able to win so decisively was really frustrating. We all knew Bloomberg was a center scorer way over anyway. Bloomberg, I actually wanted to talk about him for a bit because Bloomberg is really the epitome of <laughs> how far you can stretch this Democratic label... And people can still insist not to play purity politics. This phrase, purity, po purity politics. Define it. Well, see, one of the central questions of any, uh, any movement that seeks to advance any sort of interest, typically left-wing movements, from you know, the anti-colonial movements to abolitionist movements to civil rights movements, the central question has been, when do we compromise? And when do we keep pushing forward uh, regardless of the barriers in front of us? You know, that's been the central question. But when you have this phrase, purity politics, it takes that entire conversation and puts it in the bin. It essentially says, okay, you know, you're just being, you're just trying to have purity politics. You need to accept people who aren't perfect ideologically. And Bloomberg, this guy who's <laughs> stop and frisk, overtly <laughs> racist, everything, because like, this is supposed to be the party that is, uh, can resist corporations, the party that stands for the rights of minorities. The fact that you have this guy who's able, who's being defended on CNN by Don Lemon saying, hey, let's just give this guy a chance. 
the fact that he that that's happened really has kind of taken the lid off of taken the veil off this whole um Any, anybody can be mask. anything they want to yeah. be yeah, yeah just, like, and you can't question it yeah, just as long as you're a Democrat, <laughs> you can be accepted. That, that side, that side, though, shit, it's and the then, movement of society right now. I mean, you know, it, and, you know, when asked why, he's like, oh, well, he's he's 0.3% better than Trump. Okay, he is, but what 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 kind of standard is that? <laughs> he's better than the next guy, that's it. Perfect, let's go. And, and Biden's in the same boat. Well, Biden's in the same I don't boat, think Biden's as bad as Bloomberg, but no. yeah, he's pretty he's bad. He's in the same boat. I'd say Bloomberg's worse than Biden, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's the same concept. It's like he's 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 not well from from the logical, straightforward people who have our brain perspective. I'm sorry if I'm being offensive. I don't care. Um, postmodernism offensive. I don't care. Uh, Biden is that character who's like, well, he's better than Trump. Same concept, even though he is racist. What was it? The jungle comment. Yeah, I mean, he was um, he had some issue back in the 1970s when they were trying to do integration, um, the bus integration. Correct. And um, he had he was using a lot of code word, but it was a lot of um, racist, 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 racist code word. Like you know, it's, oh, my kids are going to be in a racial jungle, and other things like that. That like you're you're surprised then that this guy is now winning the African American vote decisively. Yeah, and especially pull, uh, especially Stark when you compare it to Bernie Sanders in the same time period, who's getting arrested for protesting. Yeah. Like, who, who am I going to believe? Someone who says that they're for black rights, yeah. or someone who's arrested in the 1960s protesting for civil rights? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's a, it's one of those things that in American politics, um, I think Malcolm X had it best when he uh, he was talking about the ballot to the bullet. Um, one of the has, best speeches in yeah, American one history. Of the, my favorite speech in American history. And he was um, describing that the Democrats at that point in time had controlled two thirds of the House, they controlled the presidency, they controlled two thirds of the Senate, and there was still no civil rights. And he's like, they've just left you behind. He's like, they, they, you know, they're just you're being continually duped because you're not making your vote, um, you're not making them earn your vote. And I think that's what's happening right now. I think you just have, you know what? We've got this population. We've got this population. We don't. There's no reason to appeal to them. There's no reason. Who are you going to vote for? Your only other yeah. option is Trump. So but is, that, is the issue in the system then, or is it in is the issue in the system, or is the issue in the people? The the first of the first issue, the, the two party system allows for that, right? Yes. Because yeah, you have absolutely. what you have. Either you vote for whoever we selected for you, despite your intense dislike for them, Hillary Clinton, right? Yeah. Or <laughs> you get that guy and it's you're always stuck between that lesser evil you're always stuck between that lesser evil um duality right yeah you, you're never you're never i'm going to vote for the candidate of you know who i side with ideologically and they'll accuse you of being a purist as sharif was mentioning they say oh you just want um you're being you're, you're being too too um ideological we we have to go for someone who's electable right yes and we're talking and about we're electability. Talk about electability yeah. this I think the tautology of electability is a big reason as to why Biden is winning. Because Biden's entire campaign has been run on the fact that, or not the fact, the perception that he, that he can beat Trump, that he's the man who can beat Trump. No one else can do it. And, you know, given the Democratic voter base's complete disdain for Trump, it makes sense that they'd want someone who can get him out of office. That being said, what is electability? What, what constitutes electability? I don't know. I don't know, because... 
I mean, he, he, it, it comes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, it's dementia, my guy. Yeah. You have to have dementia to do it. <laughs> Most of these issues that Sanders campaigns on within the Democratic electorate are very, very popular, even in the most conservative state, Mississippi. Two-thirds of people supported single-payer health care. So when you have these issues that are very, very popular, but still not getting support, that indicates that these voters have tricked themselves into thinking that Sanders is just impossible to get elected, despite the fact that if they all actually voted for Sanders, he would get elected. It's also because the media keeps uh, bombarding you with this this idea, right? Yeah. Oh, he's not electable. He's not electable. You got to pick the electable candidate, right? Yeah. Democrat. Uh, right before the Super Tuesday, um, there was an article, I believe, in the New York Times, was saying Democrats don't ruin this, don't ruin, don't yeah. ruin this, like by picking Bernie. Like they're 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 just they're telling you. So it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. Is I mean, it was one of you just keep mentioning yeah. it, yeah. and all of a sudden, it just becomes that becomes the, the narrative. That's yeah. he's unelectable. It, it also shuts down any conversation we can actually have about values and ideas because now all of a sudden. The, this it isn't a war of ideas anymore. It's just say, oh, what what can we do to win? You know, now you're dismissing an entire field of ideas because they're being viewed as pipe dreams. The fight, despite the fact that Sanders has successfully injected these ideas into the mainstream, they're very much more popular and much more, um, much more, um, much more prominent within the American political discourse than they were even ten years ago. Obama, yeah, Obamacare was radical in 2010. Now it's being viewed as just like a half measure. You know, now any form of universal health care pulls at about 70%. Yeah. You know, Republicans have very large uh, amounts of support for universal health care. Maybe not Sanders' plan, but the fact that they're even in support of a guarantee for health care is astonishing and wouldn't have been the case a few years ago. There might, might, see, this is where, like, my issue, uh, same concept of, of, of this value thing. Like, I always put it like this, is, is universal health care a good thing? Okay, yes. So then that should be our goal. And then the means to it, then we can discuss. But we should all have the same goal. But it seems like, as you guys said, like the goal now is just getting there. It's getting to the, the presidency. And then once we get to the presidency, the goal, there is no goal. It's just whatever. Well, ideally, if you, had, um, if, you, if you had like people vote on the best platform, for example, the best ideas, I think you'll get something like that. But you don't have that, right? You don't have, people don't, as should have been, people are voting on, you know, External factors, you know, whether this guy's electable or this guy's, you know, I, you know, back in 2000, 2000 uh, Gore versus Bush, for example, um, Bush would, um, he would speak with us a certain drawl, he would st start talking like very um, down to earth, he would wear jeans, he'd wear a hat, and he would say, I'm the guy you can drink a beer with. Al Gore, he's he's a, a smarmy elite, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, he's very stereotypical. He's what well, he's what Republicans refer to when they say coastal liberal. Co coastal, yeah, coastal eastern uh, liberal, right? And you, you, he's not he's not gonna be the guy you hang out with. Even the the, the way Bush uh, spoke, like you look at his videos from like 1996 when he's debating, rapid fire, super sharp. You look at 2000, he's like completely completely almost like to like a buffoon level. Like he's like I'm the down to earth guy. And once you have that kind of um, situation driving politics, where it's not ideas, no one ideas don't drive politics. No one votes no. for people vote for personalities, right? Yeah. And it's, if it's, it's like a computer system, like if, if if you just take the people out of it and say pick the best platform, you'll see clearly like you know a Bernie Sanders platform winning. Um, unfortunately, it's not like it's not like that. And then what what what, what is what do you think it's going to take to get there? Because like like it, it it seems like time and time again time the one time and she said this the one time we have this good president possibility which insane is the one time they screw it up 
So where, where's where where what could possibly fail? And you're, you're learning this in school, so you're you're that new next phase of where these things can go. Where do you think that that change comes in, or how? I think the change is going to be is going to need to be empowered by the youth, by my generation. And when I say my generation, I mean my generation right now, because the voter turnout for people who are ages 18 to, I believe, 27, is still 15%. That's with Sanders and his very exciting platform, his platform that speaks directly to the concerns of young people regarding student debt, rising tuition costs, rising housing costs, stagnant wages, healthcare costs that are rising through the roof far beyond wages. And if we don't get out to vote, because Sanders polled at around 87% with people in the ages 18 to 27 are range. So if we could increase turnout within um, my generation, then I think that could really, really, really be the major force that drives people like Sanders. Uh, you know, Sanders is 78 years old. He's not going to be around for much longer, unfortunately. But, you know, the politicians that come after him, the figures that come after him, it's going to need to be the youth that empowers that change. And, you know, all I can say is if you're watching this and you're not registered to vote, vote you know i i've hosted a few voter drives you'd be shocked at how many rich white kids can don't even un, don't real don't have any sort of voter registration at all so please you know this change isn't going to happen by itself and if you're feeling that your interests aren't being represented look at sanders's platform you know i promise you when you're paying tens of thousands of dollars for college tuition costs you're going to be thankful that someone like sanders is in office yeah the other thing is um if you really want to get this change, I, I think the biggest thing about Bernie is I think his most major success is that he awoke certain issues and he works certain segments in the population that is not just every four years. I think anyone knows the Bernie movement, you know, two years ago, you're here, three years ago, the, the, since 2016, 17, 18, they're still active, yes. right? They've, they've met, they've, they've had Bernie, you know meetups and everything else my brother's part of this group like you know they, they, they meet periodically to discuss issues and um you know strategically coordinate different things so i think his biggest success is that this and i think if you want to have a change eventually you'll have to try to have these groups try to get local candidates and then representatives um to the house and even the senate i think if you try to get try to empower these yeah. people I think you're gonna have some change. And, but then, uh, here's where my kind of argument to you is, and it's gonna come in, right? Kind of argument to you, but it's also like this in a different point of view, right? I don't know how like and it's from my I haven't voted yet, but it's from my limited perspective, right? That voting now is it, the electorate is not gonna change their mind on who they've they've like. I I, I think it's once they've had an idea, set in stone, whoever votes doesn't make a difference. They're voting for their party or whatever they they've put their mind to, because so I think. The, and this is connecting with the brothers yet, right? I think it's it's from our, the best way the youth can participate is not in necessarily yes voting, but not necessarily voting, but in constantly bringing the conversation to the table. I think yeah. it's that more because that's gonna have the long lasting change. Because of course the, the politicians are gonna talk about what's hip, right, or what's yeah. what what the people want to talk about. So if if more of us are talking about things, not necessarily yeah, voting, for all that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I actually, um, I, I screwed up by only mentioning voting because oftentimes you'll see media outlets do this all the time. They'll never encourage their readers to go out and protest. It'll never happen. They'll always say vote. 
the only way you can participate in the political process in the eyes of major media once every four years (laughs) once every four (laughs) years sign a name by a ballot and leave that's it but obviously we need to have um you know it was in the you know 2018 um, you know blue blue wave where we saw people like alexandria ocasio cortez ilhan omar rashida tullab get elected people who would be unthinkable 10 years ago people who identify as democratic socialists and I, I don't think they fit that label personally but the fact that they can self-identify like that in america and still get elected and be champions of these issues like medicare for all is astonishing and that's driven by what brother ziad said these people who two three years ago weren't active and now they're active in their local and state politics and getting these politicians and figures recognized so you know? yeah i mean one of the things is that you know hopefully the bernie however this election plays out his supporters continue continue that right they're not so disenchanted with the system in fact even being disenchanted with the system might actually push them even yeah. hopefully it might yes. even push them even wrap More, up that yeah. Right, yeah i mean i'm angry pretty much all the time <laughs> all it does is make me more and more interested to learn about it because yeah. it, it's an abusive relationship of sorts but yeah. i i enjoy it <laughs> abusive relationship yes and i and i i have hope things go well I don't know like I, I don't get what's wrong with Bernie what is it like I, I understand look I understand this moderate claim and I, I can get it to an extent can't a moderate candidate apply to like for those swaying Republican voters to get them more on the Democratic side I mean, what's a moderate candidate by the way yeah well, well, what issues do you have to hold to, what positions do you have to hold to be moderate because Michael Dukakis uh, center yeah. center left candidate but he was opposed to the death penalty and that was enough to make him not appear like a moderate and it's become this lore almost that oh this guy lost the election because he was a radical but his platform was center center left he was not a radical by any stretch he just opposed the death penalty and that's uh, what people campaigned on him against him on and this whole idea of moderate i think that has the political spectrum has shifted so yeah. far you know we were discussing it earlier actually richard nixon who in the 1960s and 70s was considered extremely right wing right he supported a poverty um, a poverty program he supported some sort of uh, not a universal health care program but a health care expanded health care program yes. he supported all these uh, measure measures that you would say were Democrats to adopt this today they would be considered too far left yeah, this this isn't a defense of Nixon, by the way. This is a, yeah. This is not to say Nixon was a great character. Um, it's just saying that his positions, which would by the time were considered too far to the right, today would be considered something you would be too far to the left. So this whole idea of moderate, unfortunately, moderate means the status quo, and the status quo tends to favor more but, but, yeah, but, corporate. I, I, but isn't although we don't we discussed earlier that it's not about beating Trump, right? But isn't that from from a from a political perspective, isn't that a pl- more towards the status quo? Status quo, what is what could be Trump? Well, well do you think right? Like, it's the truth. Do you think, uh, from my perspective, yeah. Although I prefer Bernie in terms of like values and ethics, Biden is the the that, that more status quo character. But that it might didn't get work more for votes. Hillary. It didn't work for yeah. Hillary. It yeah, it didn't, didn't work, work for John Kerry. It, it didn't, didn't work, work for Al Gore. Al Gore. It, it only worked for Bill Clinton because there was a third party spoiler running yeah. in that election in 1992. This whole idea, the Democrats keep setting up centrists and they keep getting demolished. They so, keep getting demolished. Yeah, like, so what are they going to do this year? <laughs> well, like, <laughs> Obama won in 2008, but he campaigned himself as a progressive. He didn't govern as a progressive, but he presented himself. And, as well. but, I mean, that situation was a little different because A, he was the foil to Hillary and then he was coming off of Bush. Yeah, eight years of Bush. Uh, eight and years of Bush, I think any, any Democrat... 
Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Hillary Clinton when Trump <laughs> <been> elected? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got this. Uh, I'll be that guy. Yeah, I also think it's important to point out the almost racial, not not almost, the racialized elements to this electability argument, too, because the main argument Clinton had in 2008 was the fact that she was electable over Obama. And this had a very, very strong racial yes. component, an explicit racial component. That was what the you know Hillary's uh, strong Hillary supporters would hammer against the fact that oh Obama's not going to win uh, he won in a landslide but and that, that was with 25% of Hillary supporters switching to John McCain and Obama still won in a landslide yeah you know th- that's something I think that's really important to consider and by kind of conceding this electability argument which the left for some reason does so frequently you kind of give the powers that be the all the power to determine what ideas can and cannot be acceptable and that's not something we can allow and here's something interesting about this where did biden win on super tuesday which which states did he win which most of the states that he won is in the south, south yes these states don't vote democratic they don't they're ever, not going to flip so ever. so he's basically winning states that Republican. So the, the that's a, to the centrist argument because you're these southern states have so much influence on the election they're picking candidates that are Republican, but Democrats just make bad Republicans, right? Yes. They're not good Republicans. They're just making so they're picking Republican candidates, but Democrats are not good Republican candidates. Yeah. 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 There's a saying in economics like, let's say you have uh, someone who likes chunky peanut butter and someone who likes smooth peanut butter. If you try and make peanut butter that's kind of chunky but not totally smooth, you end up displeasing both. Yeah. You have to appeal to one market or the other. So this is what's happening. I think. I think the fact that um, facts, actually. The, the fact that they're picking all these um, the, these candidates who are winning in the South, like in with Hillary Clinton and now with Joe Biden, I think you're just sending up candidates to lose, and they they need to come up with some some sort of system to uh, account for that. Whether it give the northern states the states that vote Democratic more delegates. Um, they're, whatever they need to do, they need to fix that because these southern states are like basically driving Republican candidates to the to compete against other Republicans. I never thought of it like that. They're getting yeah. so much. Sense. They're getting destroyed because of it. They're picking all these centrist candidates who are just bad Republicans. Yeah, you're not you're not going to appeal to Democrats by being a bad Republican. You have to be a Democrat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but then also the popular vote doesn't matter anymore anyway. Well, well like like how yeah. much you, like I said earlier, like how much is it going to matter anyway? The popular vote doesn't matter. It does, yeah. yeah, if you get a majority vote in a state, you get the electoral yeah. votes for that not, state. Not but necessarily. Like, no, no, yes, necessarily. If you get a majority of votes in a state, then you for win the that state. Election, yeah. But yeah. if you, okay, but of, uh, of course, you know, if you get a majority of votes in the country, that doesn't necessarily mean you win the election, you know? No, but isn't it that the, the elector can just decide to, like, yell veto? There are faithless electors, but they're very, it's like a handful. It's, it's, very, it's so very, few yeah. that it doesn't even matter much at all. And, yeah, like it's it's it generally speaking, you know, your vote not not generally speaking, your vote matters. <laughs> yeah, and you know, even with the widespread voter suppression that goes on, you know, you should be doing your best to vote because it does matter. You know, Florida in two thousand came down to a few people, and had Jeb Bush not been the governor at the time, maybe things would be different. Yeah, and had Al Gore won his his own state. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that's yeah I, I can, yeah. <laughs> And, and do you, what do you think? So when Jersey comes around, right? We're in June, so it's, it's going to be what? what we're like towards Ju- end. June second. We're, we're almost last. What, what, what do you think we're going to pro Bernie? I mean, uh, as I talked to a few pollsters. Um, I know Brother Ziad doesn't like polls, but I'm okay with them. Um, no, I'm okay with polls. I just you don't like the horse race element. Yeah, I don't like the horse race element. Like yeah. this week, this up, this week, this. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I've talked to a few pollsters, and a few weeks ago, 
the top two candidates were Bernie Sanders and Michael Bloomberg. So in Jersey, in Jersey. So that's oh, a very interesting that's so dichotomy. Bad. That's so bad. Yeah, not 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 very. Shitty, were you involved in these polls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And the race has shifted massively since then. You have all the centrists consolidating under a single candidate now. It's it's basically Biden, Sanders, and Gabbard, who's for some reason still in the race. But yeah, uh, Amy Klobuchar shouldn't have been there from the beginning. With I don't. This idea of consolidating, though, this is a, this makes little sense if you really think about it. You're like, we're going to just get behind the guy who's already winning. Well. In the general election, you're going to vote for that person anyway. So why do you even need to get behind this yeah. person? You see? Vote, vote your conscience in the yeah. primary, and then, and vote, then the vote. If it really whatever. didn't matter, if yeah. you're going to vote blue anyways, yeah. Um, yeah. why, why, why throw the election one way or the other? Yeah, if you, like, if you say I'm going to vote blue anyways, yeah, pick your conscience. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. No, this I, whole I agree, consolidating I argument. Yeah, and and should if 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 Biden does win, you still going to vote for him? I, I know, and it's like uh, I mean, he said no. Uh, okay, I mean, I do prefer Biden over Trump, but I'd be seriously dry heaving if I had to check his name by the ballot. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to do some thinking because I, I don't want to, I guess, reward this uh, these actions that led to Sanders not getting the nomination. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to vote, and he is better than... Just vote, vote an independent candidate. Who cares? Maybe, maybe I'll just write in Sanders' name and, and just have that be my ballot for the presidential, and then I'll vote, vote down the ballot. Well, we're in New Jersey. We're going to vote blue anyway. Yeah, so that's yeah. Thing, that, right? That's another thing. I mean, it's it, there's no blood on my hands if I don't uh, vote for Biden. You know, if I lived in a swing state, I'd vote for Biden probably, even though I'd yeah. be dry heaving as I did it. Uh, but in, in a state like New Jersey, I'll probably if there's an independent candidate that I prefer over either of them, I'll vote for that independent candidate. Yeah. I think that's the same thing for me. Um, even though you don't vote, I did vote. I did vote in 2008. I voted for Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader. I wish I could have I, been voted I'm for Ralph Nader. So, so Ralph Nader was the original Bernie Sanders. Can you? Yes. Can you please? I love Ralph Nader. Can you please yes. tell Ralph us Nader's about? One you, of my so you told yeah. me about Ralph Nader. Can you please tell the audience yes. about Ralph Nader? Uh, Ralph Nader, um, EPA, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, um, Freedom of Inf- Freedom of Information, Information Act. Just keep listing them. He his the Nader Raiders were involved in all of these. The, the, the foundation of yeah. all of these there's like a hundred and something agencies um, that has benefited human life um, that they were involved in one guy one guy Ralph Nader is <laughs> a personal hero of mine he's like my he, one of my pers- true personal heroes is he is he, 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 is, he is he the old white guy in Congress right now and here's the thing he's he, not in Congress right now no. no no he was never elected no some people say he was the most influential person not elected ever, ever. in an American ever. history in American politics just never elected, never ran for office. Just a guy who um, seatbelts. His mate, yes. obviously seatbelts. He's the person. So how he started out. Um, so GM, you know, they were they knew about all these accidents. They knew about all these accidents in their cars and how unsafe they were, and they didn't do anything about it. And he wrote his book Unsafe at Any Speed, where he shows yes. that they had knowledge of all of these things, but they didn't do anything about it. And through you know, GM actually made it worse for themselves because. He was supposed to testify before Congress, and GM hired like you know prostitutes to go try yes, to get him, try to try to like blackmail yeah. him to like impugn his character so he could you know could destroy him and the and uh, what ha- actually happened is he just was suspicious like I think someone's hap- tap- tapping my phone and this that the other and it blew up like they actually found evidence that GM did one two three four five Congress called in a meeting and through this the American public sided with them like immensely 
that he um, eventually got lost to make seatbelts pass and airbags pass. And the whole nine yards, you, if you think about seatbelts, Ralph Nader. Yeah. Ralph Nader is one of my inspirations for why I wanted to become a lawyer in the first place. Yeah. I mean, if I could even have a fraction, a fraction of, of what he accomplished, like I would be ecstatic. I'd be so happy with what I'd done for my country and my community. I mean, it's, 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 it, that's what bothers me about politics in general. I just don't like that it's always the stupid people that get elected, man. It's such a truth. Like, it just bothers me, like, why is it, why, like, it, it makes me give up. And I, and I said it once at work, and I was like, we were talking, my, my coworkers don't have a problem talking about politics. And I was like, I'm not voting. I was like, yeah, and then my, my, some lady goes up to me, no, you better vote. This is why we have an idiot in office. I don't think it's necessary. I think to get to that level, to get to those endorsements and to get to the money, the financing, etc., I think you have to like sell your soul. You have to, unfortunately, to, to, to that level, to the national level. Yeah. To the national level, you have to give up certain things. Barack Obama was, there's a, there's a video of Barack Obama before he was senator. He was talking about the benefits of single payer. I'm not sure if you got you saw that video. Yes, I'm he's, he's he's praising single payer healthcare system. When he had his healthcare summit, when Obamacare was passed, they invited every single position in the on on the books except for the single payer, even though that was the most popular position amongst the American public. It's just you just have to sell your soul. You have to give up certain things. Money is just where, yeah. where the money's at. A very very similar situation with the Buttigieg. He in early 2018 he was in support of these very left-wing policies from the Green New Deal to Medicare for All. But starting with his uh, election run in, in 2019, of course, he realized very quickly that he wasn't going to win as a progressive candidate, so he positioned himself as kind of the moderate alternative to Joe Biden for voters who were skeptical about his age and his cognitive ability. And, you know, in doing so, he adopted his Medicare for all who wanted plan, where, <laughs> you know, let, let, let's have Medicare but for all, but like half as good, basically. Uh, he was, the, he was the, 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 the chunky but smooth peanut butter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wanted it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and, you know, he, he has more support for billion, from billionaires in the financial sector than any other candidate. I mean. There was an analysis done for each candidate and how often they used certain words, middle class, working class, poverty, millionaires, and billionaires. The candidate obviously used these terms the most was Sanders, especially the term uh, poverty and, you know, the poor. Elizabeth Warren used the phrase middle class very frequently, and Buttigieg used all of these phrases the least. He made very few references to class as a concept, which would make sense. It would make sense why, given the fact that he doesn't want to challenge these uh existing class the existing class hierarchy given a support for the from the financial sector that's interesting i didn't know that and yeah where do you guys get this stuff this is side tangent read read (laughs) you know you're not gonna you know you're not gonna like the answer but it's four letters it's read i mean i have have subscriptions to four newspapers i read the foreign policy magazine every morning i spend my (laughs) i spend my free time reading political theory I'm a political science major, so obviously this stuff I kind of have to do for my major. But, you know, even if I wasn't, you know, I, I still take this very seriously and I'm trying to dive headfirst through it. And then, of course, surround yourself with people who are as knowledgeable or ideally more knowledgeable than you are about this. You know, I'm privileged enough to have classes where people who are far, far more intelligent, far more well-read than I am, who also hold positions that are totally different from mine, can, can have a conversation with this, you know. One of my best friends on my college campus is a socialist. I'm not a socialist. He's he's a natural socialist. He's you know he thinks Mar- Marx was correct. He has a book called 
Karl Marx was right and he hangs it up on a shelf <laughs> just for people to get people the right idea. But I, so I don't agree with him. You know, I'm more towards the left on economics, but I'm not a socialist. But he's also incredibly well read, unbelievably well read. He's so, so intelligent. As and most true socialists are. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to me how most anti-capitalists tend to be very, very well read. They can rebut Ayn Rand's objectivism in a dozen different ways from a dozen different perspectives. And it's incredible to me. And, yeah. you know, I might not agree with him, but I hope to get to that level of knowledge someday. Yeah. My downfall, and I'm saying this on this, is going to be my reading. It's going to be my downfall. It has to be. It has to be like the first thing. Yes. Is someone's phone ringing? Oh, yeah. That was mine. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're, I was like, I kept looking. I was like, it's my, mine? Um, and then me. No, we're not. Me? I don't know. Never mind. Uh, do you and think. Vary your news sources too, right? Yes. That's the, the other thing. Very, if, you're, if you're going to like that mainstream, you know, BBC, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, you're going to get the very, very skewed perspective. Like the the idea of reading, you're gonna get actually get the ideas. You're gonna get the, the reason why I hate the the horse race is because it's always about this. What does this Democrat think about this issue? You know, something happened in the world. What is the coronavirus? What is this? What did the Republicans think? What did Democrats? Think? Who cares? Who what cares? The Who cares? <laughs> Give me what a scientific expert thinks. Yes, I don't care about what the the, the the Democratic chief strategist you know thinks about the coronavirus. Does that make sense? And if you're just getting your news information from these sources, that's all you're gonna get. You're gonna get the horse race. That's what I mean by the horse race. I hate the yes. horse race. You're not going to get uh, that very perspective, you know. But bias is everywhere, and you're going to get something well, biased anything. No, but you're going to get information. You're going to get, like, when is the last time you saw, to discuss an issue about politics, you saw a college professor come on? Um, Never. Ever. You saw a college professor uh, or a major thinker, or Noam Chomsky, somebody like this discussing Who the moderates issue. the debates? Who moderates the debates? You have random pundits. Who random pundits who know nothing. This idea of pundits, pundits who apparently know everything, yeah. um, talking about everything. Does it make sense? It, it, it's a very, very watered down um, source of uh, information. So you know, obviously, you're not going to be able to find the source without bias. Um, the closest would probably be Associated Press, which is incredibly dry, bare, ba bare bones reporting. It's what happened? <laughs> yeah, it, it's just what happened. But you know, you should try and. Have a variety of biases. So you have, you know, Wall Street Journal, fiscally conservative, New York Times, kind of a liberal, Washington Post, kind of neoliberal centrist, and then sources that are less orthodox, like Democracy, Democracy Now, now with which Amy is Goodman, yeah. with a which is a with Amy Goodman, which is biased towards left wing anti authoritarianism, but it's biased in a way that you very infrequently see. It counterbalances the the others. It counterbalances Democracy Now, the Real News Network. Um, democracy now is the better of the two in my opinion yeah. but yeah the, 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 yeah democracy now is very very short it's very straight to the point yeah um you have you have networks like these that but a lot of, for me it's like a lot of these like my issues whenever i read stuff like this and what turns me off a lot of it like you, you some of them when you look at you could tell something's like they're in it just to, to grab the people right or like or to grab, like how do i explain it like I don't know if you no. Have you seen Democracy now? No, no, no I but but it's it's a lot. Not like how to explain this. It's like some of them you could tell like are trying to make people give up something in order to get something else. Like how do we, like we get a lot in, in, in a lot of these like feminist or liberal movements, right? In general, you get a lot of stigmas like oh, this is all be nice and dandy, and I feel like that's what a lot of these outlets are doing in general. The the the, the some opinions I might agree about, yeah. They'll give you some really nice options about some stuff that's really good. But you, you watch the, the, the content in totality and you realize that, like, not really. 
I think and that's I think that's the, the the kind of news we have right now. You have inf infotainment, right? You don't really have news in in the true sense of what the, what we can we we think is news, right? Understanding what the world and the world around you and everything's decontextualized. There's, there's there's no idea like why did this happen? Everything's like an independent event that just happened out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I, I think when you have like infotainment as news, I think you'll get a lot of that, right? This issue happens here. How does this um um let's see the modern issue how does um this word is something in syria it's, um how is that related to another issue let's say something that's going on in south america like there's, there's generally governmental policies that's um that's overarching yeah that influences both right but there's no there's everything is decontextualized there's no there's no there's no everything's like, made 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 yeah, black and white yeah, when yeah. it's not it's, it's yeah. very, very separated. Things don't happen in a vacuum. You yeah. know, everything exists in its grand context. You know, the fact that, for example, you know, I think a lot of times you can gauge why a certain piece of media is receiving attention or not receiving attention based on who would it serve to report this and who and why would it serve them. You know, there's a reason why the protests against neoliberalism in Chile receive. No, no, very little coverage. Very, very, no, no. I, I saw the Economist uh, post an article about it. The Economist is extremely good at reporting uh, issues from all over the world, even though they're biased towards like neoliberal centrism. But aside from that, I saw very little. Whereas the protests in Hong Kong got massive amounts of coverage. Now I support uh, both of these protests, but at, at the same time, you know, why was one receiving coverage and the other not? Because Hong Kong is a uh, is a hub for finance and global investors throughout the world, and it's being, you know, it's being menaced by this totalitarian authoritarian illiberal state that poses a threat to the liberal um, Western order that you know many people seek to uphold whereas Chile is is uh, the protests are against neoliberalism which is the central ideology of the West yeah it's, it's basically who's benefiting right and then you could even look at this um, not to sound cons conspiratorial or anything but you yeah. have like even the the um, human rights agencies the like human rights watch for example why do they focus on certain issues that always seem to be in America's interest or in uh, like an imperialistic interest right Darfur or something like this where they don't focus on other issues like let's say the Congo where you might actually start um, going against uh, transnational corporations like Apple or something yeah. right the, it's, it's that focus and everything is decontextualized and separated up money means a lot and do you think any of these things are going to change over there like like how much you think is things are what what, what if anything and how much are things going to be changing over the next like ten to twenty years? Well, part of the part of the so-called so information age, right? With the internet, was supposed to democratize information, and you're supposed to have all the access to everything. Um, yeah, a plethora of like you know information sources. I don't think you've really seen that. I don't think that has panned out. Certainly, to younger people, I think that's also driving the Bernie movement, right? You have that, yes, yeah. you have that ability now to, and the WikiLeaks, and you have that, you have that ability now to start getting information from non-traditional sources. Mm -hmm. You know, they like to say the fake, uh, fake news, fake news. Part of the, I think, the part of this fake news claim is to try to like delegitimize um, alternative sources of information. It's like, please just listen to the status quo. Don't worry about anything else. There's a song right? in High School Musical that says that's literally the name of the song. The, the follow the status quo. It's literally the name of the song. Stick to the status <laughs> quo. Stick to the status quo. Follow. Musical. Yes. I watched the movie the other day. That's what I mentioned. No, I don't know anything about that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are these kids what talking about? High school musical. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was. It was a good. It was a good movie. Uh, I don't care. It was okay. It, it was good. The series. Talk about series. 
I haven't watched the television series. That's not said. Oh, the movie series. Yes, it's okay. Yeah, High School Musical, the musical series. Yeah, it's okay. It's nothing. Are being recorded? Yes, I'm being recorded. Yes, I'm fine. It's it's nothing special. I mean, it's, I have nostalgia. This will remain it. on the internet forever. <laughs> no, I mean, I was in New Mexico, and when, when Albuquerque, everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's go see the setting of High School Musical, the where it was recorded." And I'm like, "Okay, sure." No, I. It's in. It's in. It's in, uh, it's in Albuquerque. Yes. Really? Yes. Really, that's so lost right now. I have no <laughs> clue, man. What you guys are talking about? It's a really good. My, it wasn't great. I don't think production quality. I think it was also it, it stemmed with like very quality uh, with ethics I don't it's like it's Disney right it's yes Disney. it's Disney okay, it, it, it's stemmed with very very okay. progressive music my, my, my hatred for Disney it's okay okay now that we've finished talking about mediocre musicals from our childhood well, let's get back to the <laughs> media status quo <laughs> so you were saying about the status quo the second thing is uh, I, I think people just don't realize it mostly um, someone was making a, an interesting claim um, people in North Korea or China they realize that what the government is saying is propaganda they know it Right? If I told you what you're hearing on the news is propaganda, propaganda, you'd probably look at me like, we have a free press. We have a free press. This is not. This is normal question, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so uh, part of it is also recognizing that your, your information sources are completely um, corporate centric, right? It's, it's heavily biased, right? You don't expect MSNBC, the most liberal network, to start talking about yeah. war, right? When they have billion dollar weapons contracts. You don't expect CNN to ask certain questions in debates, right? When yes. um, Lockheed Martin, when there's an ad comes over Lockheed Martin, this debate was sponsored by Lockheed Martin, a plane manufacturer that uh, for war warplanes, yeah. right? This debate was sponsored by Lockheed Martin. What what questions will come up in that debate? If the person paying the light bill and paying the salaries of the people asking the questions, right, is a sponsor for your debate, and it, it's in their interest not to, you know, not to have these questions. I think Bernie made a joke about it, right? He yeah. said, um, you're, "You're going to see some uh, uh, ads running for some health insurance companies or something like this coming up right after this." And they're going to criticize me, telling me, "Don't vote for Bernie Sanders." <laughs> exactly. He said that that's exactly what he said. Yeah. You have the same people paying the bills, or the ones who are, you know, controlling the narrative. I and agree. even though we have a free press to get to the positions, so for example, Anderson Cooper would say, "No one tells me what to do." No one tells me what to do. I am free to say whatever I want to say. And I would respond with, you wouldn't have gotten into that position had you not shown that you could play ball. Had you not shown that you were already playing. What they wanted. Yeah. Already what they wanted. Exactly. You wouldn't get, you don't get to those positions. Right? And you, do, so yeah, we have a free press in terms of, there's few government restrictions, right? Yeah. But it's it's such corporate centric that I think the six companies control eighty percent of everything you see and read. One of them is Disney. The, yeah, one of them is Disney. Right, News Corp. Yes. Disney's one of them. Yeah. Yes. Disney's one of the six. Right. A News Corp controls, for example, HarperCollins, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, Fox News. Just keep going down the list. Twenty-two hundred radio stations across the U.S. You're just going to be stunned. They even control the textbook publishers that you read. The yeah. textbooks. Yeah. Yes. The textbooks, the magazines, the newspapers, the radio. The, the movie, 20th Century Fox, everything, yep. just everything. Um, you're just, unless you, you, you get away from that model, you're, you're going to have to. Okay, so I, I had a essay um, a to write for Miss, shout out to Miss Dougalibu, shout out, I'm wearing the shirt, woo. Um, uh, smooth plug. A smooth plug, it's, it's, it's an intentional plug. 
Um, I was I. Um, How much at, is mispaying you? We're just talking about uh, media bias right now. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, have you have you seen Chomsky's five filters and media bias? Yeah. yeah. Advertising is one of them. Let me just check my. Should he, my by the way, account. didn't pay me yet? Give him the book. Yeah, yeah so I'll, I'll give you the book. I have. Yeah. You better give me the book. Yes, I'll give you manufacturing consent. I'll give you people's history. If you knew how many books I have in my house that I don't read, if you knew how many, oh my. Mal just passed on. I pass it on to Sharif. Sharif is gonna pass it on to you. Yes, inshallah. And then I'm gonna give you the fateful triangle too, because that's a very important. Very, very, very important. Yeah. Inshallah. Um, you can't be Palestinian and yes, I, I, I can't. It, it frustrates me that I know more about this than some Palestinians. Like, so everyone's like, "Yeah, woo, Palestine." And I'm like, "Okay, what, what about XXX?" Dude, they didn't know where the Aqsa was, my guy. Remember, your class didn't know what the Aqsa was. Yeah, I, I had a girl who's Syrian tell me, "It's like, yeah, I still don't understand the Syrian war, by the way, or anything about it." I'm like, "Are you are you serious?" <laughs> no, it's a, that that was always the claim. Like Palestinians come, like you know, they they wear the um, what is it called, the hafta? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you're, you're, yeah, Palestine, and you're like, when's the Balfour Declaration? What's the Balfour Declaration? What's the Balfour Declaration? <laughs> and they're looking at you like, I don't know. It's something. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a betrayal yeah. of your entire history. It's, um, an, it's, it's very important. No, the Fairfield Triangle. No, yeah. Chomsky, um, pass it on. Yeah, I, I would get a just like a I'd read a book about the history of Israel Palestine first because like you know the Fatal Triangle itself Phyllis is an better. Phyllis yeah. better. She has a primer. Phyllis yeah. better. Yeah, it's amazing though. You know what I find interesting? Jewish slash non-practicing Jews have written the best books about it. Yes, you, you don't see as many Arab Muslim uh, people who are writing in defense of Palestine and criticizing Israel. It's very irreligious Jews who are doing it from Norman Norman Finkelstein to Noam Chomsky, Michael Newman, Phyllis yeah. Bennis. Um, just, just go down the list. You'll just be amazed. Interesting. Right. I, again, they've been telling me. You guys understand. They've been telling me. We're trying to get him to read, guys. They've been telling yes. me to read this stuff for ages. Anyone who's watching this, I want you to just shove a book in Ahmed Sucker's face and make him take it with I you. I actually so down. If you guys are watching the only this and, and can him. show me that you've been watching this by yes. taking a book and shoving it in my face, I am down. Ahmed, if, uh, Ahmed's parents, are, if you're watching this, only get him books for his only next books. 10 birthdays. <laughs> yes. Only books. Only books. My parents do watch this. What the heck, man? Yes. Watch it. Okay, so then get him Graduation books for his next gift? Birthdays. Books. 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 All sure. teachers I have a assign feeling. him more books. I actually have a feeling some of the teachers are giving me that. 100%. I actually genuinely think so. Uh, please, Sister Dunya, Sister Heba, do it. Brother Ziad, you're here, so you're going to do it. I know you are. He's going to do it. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you manufacturing consent when you graduate. I'm going to have a lot of... Dude, it's, I, it's, it's, it's a great well, idea. I have, I have a shelf this long, right? Filled with two shelves. It's filled with books. I don't read them. It's, it's sad. But going back to the conversation, right? About um, this new stuff and money. I had to write an essay for Miss, um, and the question was, should news outlets go non-profit, right? Should I, they go non-profit? Then answer my question. Is that even possible? Yeah, it's, I don't think it's possible. It's, it's, it's if very you're, expensive. If you're a lucrative, if you're a lucrative um, multi-billion dollar company, would you? I mean, just, yeah, yeah, look at democracy now. I mean, they're very small. They can afford to have it be non-advertisement-based, non-profit-based, yeah. but they're very small. If you want a big... A cable news uh, organization, you know, it's not really possible for it to be non-profit, unfortunately. So, one of the interesting things is the FCC, which controls uh, the communication areas, right? In the 19, like, like 90, 70s, 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. There were like 50 companies. Yes. Now there's six, right? They've, they've, they've consolidated. What the, just like how you have antitrust laws and um, anti-monopoly um, uh, laws, yeah, right? Yeah. You need to break them up, right? Because they actually use the public areas for free. Most people don't know this. Yeah. CNN, they all just start listing the companies. They use the public airwaves for free. The billion-dollar infrastructure that f taxpayers put up. 
So we pay for the news. We've put all of these up, Rush Limbaugh and all of these guys complaining about you know gov- government subsidies. They use the public airwaves for free to make millions of dollars, right? So the FCC has some control over this, right? Um, what they can do is try to start breaking them up. Uh, but then anyone who tries to even approach that, you know, it's going to say like, oh, this person's a dictator and, you know, they're trying to stifle media. Yeah. The media is going to launch an all out assault, assault yeah. on this person. Oh, 100%. No one's going to even uh, yeah. challenge this. Uh, give me a second. I just have to respond to, to this. The face. This, this is the, the face that we get. This is the face of disappointment in what we have right now. And the... I mean, th- this is my issue with the phrase uh, fake news, actually, because... Typically, when the when the phrase "fake news" is used, it's used to, against whatever Trump finds to be critical of him. I mean, he even used it against Fox News, Fox News uh, <laughs> after I think he pulled out of uh, Northern Syria, and even the Fox and Friends hosts were saying that was a horrible decision. Even and when, so when Fox News when Fox News says you're wrong, yeah, and then he's like, wrong. he's like, "Watch One America News Network; they are real news," and then it's it's even worse than Fox. <laughs> but in general, I think. People need to approach this um, media criticism from a different angle, you know. Uh, you know, people say, like, oh, bias towards liberal, bias towards conservative. You know, who cares? Look at the institutions that back medias. Obviously, you know, it's it's good to understand what direction a media uh, outlet leans in so that you can curate a proper media diet. But at the same time, look at the institutions that back it, and you, you can gain a really strong picture as to why they focus on the issues that they do you know msnbc the reason why you'll never hear them talking much at all about uh unions about you know strikes about much at all about climate strikes about mm. israel palestine why they always focus on russiagate is firstly because it's sexy you know it makes for very appealing television but secondly because the point of the fundamental idea that surrounds left-wing politics is that it's subversive it challenges power it challenges existing hierarchies MSNBC is supported and funded by the status quo. And so it's incentivized to defend the status quo. And so they're left with very few left-wing ideas that they can actually talk about because they tend to be subversive. Yeah. So they'll focus on Russiagate, not only because it's uh, makes for you know, very appealing television because, you know, oh, it's it's so juicy, you know, the gossip, you know, the conspiracies and everything. But it's, it's but also because yeah, but, but also because it doesn't really threaten, threaten the, the interests yeah. of any of their power backers. And you, you could always see it when there's a build up to worry. I mean, you guys are a little young for the Iraq war build up, right? This is happening. Yeah, we're nowhere, yeah, to nowhere close. Up. But um, you could see there's no media network was critical of it. No, none. None. Even the ones that are supposed, like you know, MSNBC, that yeah. chat would supposedly challenge the status quo. Um, no, they're all in cheerful support of it. And then they come in and say, and then you, there, there was information coming out like, no, this is all fake, and this is what they're actually saying is completely wrong. And then uh, you'll have hear arguments, oh, like Hillary, we wish we knew then what we know now. I was like, well, I was in what, I, I grade, eighth grade, and I knew then what I know now. <laughs> You're a senator. I, mean, I, I knew back then. I love about you. <laughs> like I, you, I'm sure you had more resources than me to get information. So it's one of those things. And um, I mean, a lot of people don't even remember why we went to Afghanistan in the first place. We went there because Al-Qaeda was being housed by the Taliban. And it was by 2002 that we had pretty much dismantled the Taliban. And yet we're still there in 2020. Taliban is stronger now than they ever were. 2002 would have been the perfect time to have this peace treaty that we're currently having. Oh yeah, the, 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 the best, the best <laughs> argument, uh, the best, the, the the best nonsensical argument. Like it's like, like an infinite loop. When John McCain responded, um, 
He's like, we're going to stay there until we defeat the insurgents. Right? This is the best use of a euphemism ever. Because what is an insurgent? An insurgent is a person who's resisting your occupation. Yes. So we're going to continue occupying them until they stop resisting our occupation. So you might as well just level <laughs> the entire place to the ground. So basically, we're not leaving. <laughs> we're stuck here. Yeah, so, I mean, guys. So, so, so much of how we view foreign policy is surrounded by this adenine, seemingly adenine political phrases and rhetoric. And, you know, it's, it's really sinister and disgusting. It's like, you know, when Hillary Clinton was asked in 2016, um, surprisingly about, you know, what she, how, whether or not she would use a force uh, on Russia. And she's like, oh, no, we'll, we'll just uh, have a no-fly zone. Where, but a no-fly zone means that you level the opposing country's aircraft to a point where they can no longer threaten your airspace. You know, what if they're flying if in they've... the zone? <laughs> what if they do fly in your zone? Well, what are you going to do about them? Just let them? Then it's not a no-fly zone anymore. <laughs> if you want to maintain the no-fly zone, you got to bomb the heck out of all these planes. But the interesting part of media is like they don't follow up with the questions, right? They don't follow up on it's like. But what if? Because they want, you know. But well, what if they do fly into your zone? Because you want to seem. Oh, I don't want to seem. I want to seem neutral now. This is like apparent so-called objectivity. I don't want to question them too yes. hard because it's gonna seem like I'm taking one side over the other. Yeah. So you just leave it there. N- Nate, yeah, Nate Silver is the king of this. Yes. Like I, I remember, what's her name? Kellyanne Conway was on his show and he got this massive praise like, "Oh, you're so neutral." Well, neutral in this case just means that you're a fence sitter. You know, you're not really criticizing. There, there are some things that deserve to be criticized it's not that the truth doesn't always lie in the middle there are instances where you have to go after this you know incorrect statement where you have to go after this dishonesty there are some uh, and that often means you have to abandon your your pretense of you know being moderate however you wish to define that and being neutral so whoever whoever calls it out gets screwed as well this is like uh, i think i don't know if you studied any journalism right but one of the things is um you, you be moderate you be you be you take be objective give both sides the the right well let's let's see how this is also wrong when you have israel versus palestine right clearly one side is much worse the aggressor and one yeah. side is yeah but they'll say well israel says this palestine says this but there's no like well one of them was actually right and one of them was actually wrong yeah, yeah. it's it's just like she said this he said this and we're going to leave it there you yeah. you decide what you want to don't decide. take opinions it, it, yeah take, yeah it's a very good way to prop up opinions that are clearly illegitimate yeah but at the same time give it the level of like you know they're both question. equal in level they're yes. both exactly it's like, it's, like, it's like forcing a level playing field well this was this one's down here and this was here. but to be nice we're just going to make them equal we're just going to say they're both you know yeah. they both said this and we're not going to take sides yes well yes, that yes. not taking sides is actually propping up one yes. of them Right. Yeah. It's, there's no investigative reporting where there's no investigative journalism where you just um, you're going after the truth. It's more like we're just going after this balance where it's not uh, um, we're going after the truth. Does that make sense? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that I, I we haven't had a conversation about this before, but that literally makes sense to me. Yeah. Because it's 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 literally it's the same equality argument, or equity argument. It's like it's yeah. like literally making something equal that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Okay. And. Going back to the war thing, because we just we were, and I want to swag way into this. I use seg- I don't use the word segue. I use swag way. Um, swag way. Swag way. Shitty swag. Because he has a lot of swag. I'm swag. <laughs> no, my, one of my coworkers uses the word shway, so we're gonna we're gonna swag way, swag way today this week. Uh, and today, if coworker, if you're watching this, uh, please <laughs> stop doing that. You're causing me mild discomfort by having Ahmed say this. <laughs> um. So, this war concept, right? Um. We know that. We haven't been in the state of... I don't think the world has ever been in peace except for the past like 200, 300 years. In, in, no, in the entire history of the world, 
The world's only been at peace for 203 years tall, I think. Something. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I, I mean, I that, that, that we'd have to guess at numbers, but realistically, there's probably always been some form of conflict. Yeah, Sometimes so, so, they're more yeah, peaceful I, I, than I, others. When was it? No, no. So, in fact, we've only been at peace for 23 years. When? No, no, no. When, <laughs> not one, one time. In, oh, in total. Oh, in total. Okay. Oh. In total. I mean, maybe. maybe. Who so, knows? So, so, <laughs> so is, is, here's my question, right? To solve these problems, and you guys know what I mean, this is a very, it's also discussed in a political debate. Um, is to solve this? Is it more just pull out and everything costs and the worst in totality, or is? It- I mean, th- there there's a right and wrong way to uh, approach things. I mean, I I have a very you break it you buy it approach to intervention. I think that the U.S. has a responsibility to invest in the countries that it's destabilized so heavily, you know. And then you know, at the same time, of course, there are situations where pulling out will destabilize. There are v- very limited situations. I mean, this is invoked all the time, of course, to say, oh, we shouldn't pull out of this region. It'll destabilize uh, It'll destabilize this region even more. And usually that's just an excuse to warmonger and in- engage in conflict even more. But there are very limited instances where that's correct. I think northern Syria, the decision to pull out, uh, which, by the way, didn't even decrease the troop presence because all those troops were placed in Iraq right afterwards. But uh, setting that aside, it dis- it allowed the Turkish-backed militias to advance, uh, rampage against the Kurds. Kurds forced them to ally with Bashar al-Assad and subsequently throw away any, any chance at an autonomous Kurdish state. You know, that was a case where U.S. presence actually would have been great. And guess what? The one time it would have been great, we don't get it. Yeah, so not only did they have, like, they have actually a legal responsibility. Yes, international legal, law. Yeah, international law. The Nuremberg Tribunal has actually said that if you go and you aggressively attack someone, you don't have any rights. Yes. This is actually very, very. This is actually very important for the Israeli-Palestinian situation. Um, but let, I'll get to that. Get into the yeah, go ahead. Okay, so they actually have a legal right. So if you go into a country aggressively, um, you not only are responsible, you're responsible for fixing everything. You have a legal obligation to do so. Right, and this idea that you know, if we pull out, it's going to like you know destabilize. Perhaps, perhaps, but there's ways of getting around that. That's like saying I'm going to go in there and mess up your country, and then because I messed up your country, I have to be there now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. You're, yeah. You, you've just got into like a fit, another infinite we love <laughs> loop, these, especially with war. We love these infinite loops, right? <laughs> no, what you could do is okay. Because I got in, I'm going to have to take on the responsibility of paying for all of this stuff and bring in an international force. Right, whereas there's some sort of piece of game where there's a plan to scale it back. Right, you have to have some sort of th- some something where it you, perhaps just leaving right away is going to be like destabilizing. Right, for example, like Syria. But then you have to bring in force, and you have to take on the burden of that. Yeah, does it make sense where you can scale it back? Like the UN, this is the whole purpose of the UN, right? Yes, the UN task force. The UN is supposed to, you know. Yeah, no. America doesn't listen to the UN. We know that. So, and the, the the financial cost of that should be on you. Yep, because you're the one who you broke it. You, you buy broke it. it, right? You buy it's it. actually the, the, with the, the Nuremberg Tribunal is actually yeah. that came out of yeah. there. I mean, right? Yeah, aggressive wars. Geneva called, Conventions. Yeah, it's called the linchpin of all war crimes because every single war crime stems from aggressive intervention. You know, aggressive war needs to happen yeah. for other war crimes to happen in the first place. Exactly. And so, you violate that legal right. You've opened the door to all of these other war crimes stemming from, you know, deliberately targeting civilians to recklessly targeting civilians to damaging infrastructure uh, like um, in, in the Persian Gulf War where they were deliberately targeting sewers to a point where it amounted to biological warfare, which, again... And then after they bombed the sewer system, they, um, they stopped the import of... Uh, um, ammonia. Yeah. Right. So, 
half a million kids died from dire and dysentery. So, but with the Israeli situation is, why this is important? Because it, a lot of times you say Israel deserves this and the Palestinians, I know this is going to be super controversial right now. Israel deserves this, Palestinians deserve this. Actually, what Israel doesn't, it doesn't have rights in this situation in the, in the sense that they have responsibilities. Once you fulfill these responsibilities, you will get the security, right? Because these... But these these are your responsibilities to come in there and say it's like um someone walked into your house you know did some crime let's say shot somebody or something and then say oh you have the I, uh, my back is turned right now you can't shoot yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying imagine no, this you, imagine you can't shoot me I'm not looking <laughs> it's not a fair fight it's like you have I know this is super <laughs> you have you have responsibilities under the international law you actually have responsibilities first and foremost fulfill your responsibilities and then the security will come um, through that does it make yeah. sense they, they never talk about you know no one ever talks about the, no Israel is not fulfilling rights in general right? nobody looks at rights as responsibility as, as a effect of responsibility and I agree when we said rights in order to attain rights to do something for it in, 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 in some sense I just worded that so badly <laughs> I let me word it correctly you don't have the right to water yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to earn my water first no no, for you. no this is not no, what you I gotta mean. earn your salt I, 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 he's uh, putting you in you, um, there, there's a balance between rights and responsibilities you can't expect to receive rights without being responsible or accountable for something let me, I, I have no problem with that, that sentence uh, and yeah international says one two three and yeah. it's, I think it would be helpful if we can actually enforce international law right that's another thing. yeah i mean you know you could argue that i think quite convincingly that pretty much every president from eisenhower to trump has violated international law in some capacity more than once i mean so the fact that that we can actually say that means that the international laws we have are not being enforced in any meaningful capacity and something yeah. needs to be done about that they're talking about impeaching trump and they're like well you can impeach every single president for just violating international law. Starting in the legal war. That's an impeachable offense. But no, it doesn't happen. Oh, targeting civilians uh, or killing thousands of civilians due to drone strikes to a point where it's either intentional or negligent by that point. And doing that over several years and then proceeding to expand the program by 400%. And then the next president also proceeding to expand the program by 400%. You know, stuff like that. You know, no one... It, it's really... I think a big reason, I'm not saying that Trump didn't deserve to get impeached over the Ukraine scandal. I think he absolutely did. But the only reason that that got the level of attention that it did was because Trump was challenging another member of the of, of like the power structures that that uh, governed the people who wanted to, the power structures that governed the, you know, the party that people, uh, want, the, the people who wanted to impeach him came from, you know, That's if it was someone other than Joe Biden. Okay. So this is a good, uh, this is a, actually, I'm glad he mentions this point. Um, you, you've ever heard of COINTELPRO? 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 Yeah. Uh, no, inform Okay. So COINTELPRO was a government conducted by the, the FBI. M immensely, the, the, their, their mission was to stifle um, resistance movements in, within the United States. For example, they were spying on, they were wiretapping Martin Luther King, yes. Malcolm X. BPP. They, yeah. they were possibly involved yeah. in assassinations against the Black Panthers. Yeah. Right? There, there was a lot of things in there that the Cohen, uh, COINTELPRO was... You'd just be amazed at the stuff they did, right? And this is a Freedom of Information Act, you know, request that eventually went through that shows that the, the level of um, interference these guys had in these movements, right? From the civil rights to particularly the Black Panthers. They were, you know, they wanted to shut them down. Um, 
no one's ever heard of COINTELPRO. The, the resources that went into this was vast, right? In the, in the famous movie with uh, Malcolm X, you had um you had the two guys uh, t- wiretapping Malcolm. I don't even know if you guys have seen the movie. What's the movie? The the one with Denzel. I think I watched it, but right, way, way, back ago, when, way back right? when, yeah. And the two yeah. guys are, you know, they're, they're making a comment about, you know, something about Malcolm X and his wife, and he's like, oh, it's better than the other guy, right? So it's some reference to Martin Luther King. But the idea that those guys were working with COINTELPRO. Does it make sense? Yeah. And then it, it just went under the radar. Whereas Watergate, Watergate became this national, you know, scandal, scandal where yeah. Nixon was um, kicked out because of this, right? He was yeah. forced to resign, um, just because because it affected his scandal, affected the other the powers, the the power elite. Yes. Whereas COINTELPRO Co- was affecting the everyday guy, the activists, the the people no one cared, Martin Luther Kings, the Malcolm X's, right? Whereas you know Watergate was against the Democratic Party. Yeah, and similar situation similar for Trump. Situation, yeah. You know, he could technically have been impeached from the moment he stepped into office, given his emoluments clause violations and given his expansion of the drone strike programs. But it wasn't until he challenged a member of the establishment that people decided, okay, now we need to impeach him. You know, yeah. had it been someone else, it wouldn't have mattered much at all. Presumably, uh, you can say with some certainty. And I also think um, the fact that Obama didn't do anything. Um, against Bush. I think the fact that he didn't seek, he just said, we're not going to look for um, any trials or anything like this. XYZ war crimes were committed. It's been shown that they deliberately misled the country to war, yep. killed the, one and a half million Iraq. Read Iraqis, the Afghanistan papers. Right? Yeah, Amazing. Like It's been shown. And the fact that he did not decide to pursue it, I think it gives, uh, that opens up the power of the presidency to be abusive. So part of the reason Trump was allowed to expand executive power so much yeah. and get away with so much is because his predecessor didn't go after the previous one who um, did this did these things who yeah. did these things right i think that's what's important that you hold people accountable because if you don't you just like you enter the slippery slope where anything goes and you can't really do anything yeah um yeah, it makes sense as well and there was there was there was something else i want to talk about no i think i think we're good i think Pretty long. Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty good. We we hit an hour and a half. Um, Sharif, yeah, everybody that walks out of this, and I'm gonna say this on stream because uh, on on podcast, because someone else wanted mentioned it, but then his his recording is being redone. Um, everybody who comes here enjoys it. So, like, I don't know why. I guess it's I, I, like everybody comes out of podcast like, wow, it's pretty fun, man. It's like yeah, that's why I enjoy it. It was a very productive discussion. We got a lot out of there. We we had good, you know, media. Yeah. current political situation yeah afghanistan I, I will take I, I will say on the record i take back my comment about the you get rights without responsibilities i, I take back that comment He's just defining the term you got to earn your salt yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry um as well uh thank you both for being here and i hope you guys it's a pleasure um it's a pleasure we're gonna do the shout out thing because knows this i don't know if you watched the end of the last podcast oh, oh my podcast we have to do the shout out thing so we're gonna shout out the um Missed because I just feel like shouting them out. Um, my Instagram at Sucker Punch S A Q E R P U N C H. The that's for my personal Instagram, public, personal public Instagram. My podcast page on Instagram T Passion Project T P A S S I O N P R O J E C T. Okay, and then our YouTube at the Passion Project, iTunes the Project the passion project soundcloud the passion project twitch at sucker punch whatever and i think we're done here feel free to like subscribe and share
took two hours to set up. You please enjoy it. <laughs> please, she didn't set it off.